Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's guest is the director of marketing here for Climate Pledge Arena, Janice Jimenez. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome, you guys, to Seattle. Yes. You know, I'm so excited to talk to you because you've had quite the adventure. But first, we have to talk about Climate Pledge Arena and Seattle, right? We are here. This podcast may sound a little bit different than our other episodes, right? Because we're actually here recording live uh, inside the Amazon Music Artist Lounge, which is super cool. We want to talk about that. But uh, we are here for our EAMC planning meetings, the Event Arena Marketing Conference. We are making our plans for June of 2023. And uh, the officers and our planning committee are here in town. And this is my first time in Seattle. What a cool city. It's an amazing city. I love the city, even under rain, right? Like it's kind of got There's that There's a feel. vibe to it, right? Yeah. It's just, and, and it, it's interesting because the, the people, it's not, it, it's, I, I just feel like there's something different. Sometimes you go to a city, it just feels like another big city, but there's a definite vibe to this town. Yeah, there is a definite vibe. I mean, Seattle's definitely changed over the years. Like I moved here 13 years ago um, and I fell in love with it 20 years ago. Uh, So it was a place I wanted to be and it's changed a lot. And there's a lot of transplants, but we're always constantly trying to like involve people in the culture, what it's like, also getting new things, new ideas. But it's really, really been a really cool city to live in. And 13 years is a long time. I call it home now. I think it's funny that you mentioned even in the rain, because maybe that's a benefit <laughs> that Seattle has is almost every other city. People think of it and they think of it as an idyllic scenario. So you go to Miami, you're expecting sunny skies, beautiful beach. You go there, all of a sudden it's rainy. You're like, oh, what am I getting? This is not Miami. You go to Seattle, you're almost expecting it to be rainy and cloudy. So when you show up and it's that, you're like, okay, this is yeah, Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's if it's bad. beautiful, you're like, oh, well, look at that. There's a sky and, and, you, like, and you get, often you get both in the same day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually probably today when you guys were coming over here, didn't the sun come out? I don't know. When I drove into work, it was raining. Yeah, it was. It was it was starting to peek through the clouds. Yeah, and yeah that happens yeah. a lot. And we actually get um, less rain than Atlanta. So Atlanta rains that? a lot See, there more you than go. This in there you go. Facts yeah. right there. Atlanta. And we don't use umbrellas. FYI, so if you're using umbrella, you're a tourist. Oh, there you just you kind of deal Super with it. Fire. Yeah, and it's not. What do we? Embrace what do we hear? It. It's not. It's not raining. It's, it's not rain. It's spit. It's just spit. Yeah. Yeah. It just spit on you a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I've heard, it's like the rainfall <laughs> level is actually comparable to other cities in the country, or even less. But it's just instead of like a heavy rain like you get in other cities, it's more gradual, kind of mist, you know, for longer. Yeah, it's the it's the grayness that gets to a lot of people. Yeah. Sure. We just started approaching it, so people are kind of losing it. But in June, when we have the conference, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Climate change. Yeah, right. It's, it's the a thing. <laughs> Our summer lasted until mid-October here, which is unreal. I've never, we've had 80 degree temperatures in October. Doesn't happen. 
So we're going to have a good June. Enjoy it when you get it. Yeah, yeah, right, for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, you, you know, obviously we're talking about climate. Let's talk about this place that we're in right now. Climate Pledge Arena. The, there's so much buzz around the country among people listening to this podcast. Uh, arena nerds everywhere excited about this venue. And uh, tell us about uh, about the venue and, and your role here. Yeah, uh, the venue we opened in October of 2021. I can't believe it's been a little Just over a year, year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, I started dating things 2023 and everyone said, oh, you didn't like 2022 much. And I'm like, no, I loved it. It's just gone by so fast. Um, And, you know, it's been a great time getting this building up and running and having all the shows come through. I act as the director of marketing. So I deal with all of the local promoters uh, and then all of um, our tours that come through anything that's non-hockey related, non-Kraken actually yeah, sure. related. So. Yeah, that's my role here. So the arena itself, I don't know, we've talked with Rosie uh, here uh, in the past a little bit, but for, for the reminder, is is the shell of it, you know, the same? What What is new? What has changed? Because this used to be the, the same, is it the same space yeah, that the yeah. Key Arena was here, right? Yeah, Key Arena was here. Um, but basically our campaign, marketing campaign, is our hashtag is under our roof. So our roof has stayed the same. The venue itself is on, uh, it's a national landmark, so it could never be torn down. So we're on the grounds of the Space Needle, the Armory, all of these things were here and built for Seattle's World Fair. Like, you know, some of people will come out, take the monorail from the hotel. It's one stop. Everyone thinks it's super senseless. Uh, One stop. (laughs) I I get it mono not just one stop, but also one rail. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but it's based off of a, they just celebrated their 60th birthday and it was based off the monorail at Disneyland. So, really... uh, yeah. So if you see it, they it's kind of like, would I ever change it? And I'm like, that's kind of the cool retro thing. Yeah. Of it. The the seats are a little like, you're like, oh, okay. Like uh, this feels very 60s ish. Also yeah. appropriate too that like the World's Fair from what you read about it was this kind of like introduction of new technology, new science, kind of like this wow moment, you know, and so it, it's appropriate that, you know, in renovating the spaces, Climate Pledge Arena is sort of leading that charge with a lot of innovative stuff that's really the wow moment for the industry. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Rosie knows the exact amount, but the amount of LED we have in this venue using technology is huge. Um, Megan so- from the Honda Center is here. She's she's part of our podcast team. And, <laughs> and she's been walking around with such jealousy of complete green over over the digital signage, right? Because she just had been taking nonstop pictures because you guys have amazing digital signage. Oh, we do. I mean, beware, like beware of what you wish for. It is a huge, <laughs> huge undertaking by our creative team and our digital team just to manage those billboards. Cause essentially the program they use, it renders out to over 500 places oh, um, or spots wow. where it's wow. going to be. Yeah. Right. Uh, so trying to explain that to a promoter is always not the greatest. Right. Um, so we always like, I actually just sent um, what that playback would look like to Cirque because they want to develop all of the assets. So we're like, well, no, Here's you a don't want to. No, yeah. you don't want to do all the yeah, assets. Exactly. Just give me the layers. Yes, yeah, exactly. Just give me the layers. <laughs> give me yeah. all the layered files. And <laughs> yeah. so that can be a challenge. And it is, um, but it does come out pretty amazing. So I do get that envy, you know, so, you know, we are, we are a venue of innovation and think rethinking how people do things, especially on the sustainability front, right? We're climate pledge arena because we've taken the climate pledge. Um, So over the summer, I, 
we'll have to correct what my statistics are, but our diversion rate of 94 is 94%. What does that mean? Cause a lot of people don't yeah. understand it who don't yeah. live in this space is 94% of anything that's been brought into the, uh, to the arena in terms of recycling, plastic, trash, 94% of it has been diverted from the landfills. So we are recycling and being able to compost whatever we have here. So that's a huge like way of thinking. And it's not just, you know, our patrons, it's actually your employees. How do you engage them in doing those things? What makes sense? And it's really cool to see people that I work with. I'm really big in sustainability in my own personal life. Yeah, I try every day. I try. That's the thing. You just that's, have to try. that's what I hear, right? It, making the effort is so right. much of the battle. It's one thing, right? Like it takes, and then it could take you like two seconds to separate this from this. That's it. And that's all it needs. And people will come up to me and be like, is this compost? Is this right, recycling? Yeah. Is this plastic? Because we also take plastic film and styrofoam here that's turned into other things. And not a lot of people at home don't have that. We're very fortunate in that we have a service that does that. Actually, do have a service here in Washington and other states, but not everywhere yet. But yeah. So the roof kind of stayed the same. Yes. Sorry. No, 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 no. That yeah. was, that's all great stuff. <laughs> yeah. So the roof kind of stayed the same, yep. but everything under the roof Different, completely, completely different. Yeah. yeah, it's a it is a super interesting to have customers, patrons, fans come through and be very confused when they get in because they walk in and they're like, they think it's just been a remodel. Right. right. Or they think that their seats are up. I'm like, I don't know because you enter on essentially the highest our main concourse yeah, right. is what you would think it would be uh and people will come in and they'll say i need to go up i'm in section what you know like no no no. we like essentially you're always going down unless you're in the 100 or 200 level our seats are 1 through 26 on the floor so it's really interesting how people are going to navigate it yeah paul and i walking around the outside and, and you wouldn't even necessarily know it's an arena from the outside. Yeah, right. it looks like an art museum almost like or some sort of just there's so much glass, there's so much modern feel to it. And yes. then there's all this digital signage. It's almost it doesn't have that typical boisterous kind of QB arena feel to it. Yeah, I, I think that's what I love about boisterous it. Boisterous and QB. I, that's <laughs> Very <weird>. technical <laughs> terms. Yeah. Architectural terms. Is that IE or Y? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, the glass that you saw when you were coming in, I forgot which side you came through, um, but that glass is original to the building. So they took it out panel by panel and saved it and they repurposed yeah. it here. So it's really, really cool. I think um, on certain days on the north end of the building, we have a curtain that's usually up for kind of our lower bowl shows. And when they raise it, it's it's just gorgeous. One of our colleagues took a shot the other day and there's some trees on the other side so you could see that fall was coming yeah. it was it's just really 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 and what do they do for the hockey games with the with the crack and with the with the window yeah so sometimes they're open sometimes they're closed i think last year for the crack and they did have it lowered because it was an element of their show that they use for in-game sure presentation yeah. and they projected on there um and then some games they're they're up and open. I think the original vision was that people could look through the glass and 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 watch the game. However, there's a huge planter um, in front of it, so they would be stepping in the planter <laughs> to come to the glass. We still see that, but um, yeah, sure, it's very climatey. You know, you're just in the planter, kind of embracing <laughs> in the planter. it. Yeah, yeah, being one with nature. Being so. one with nature. Yeah. So, have you been here from you know kind of the the reopening? Yeah, I started in the in April of 2021, and then uh, we opened in October of 2021. What has that year? It had to be just a huge, you know, um, year of learning. 
Oh, because yeah. so much of the time that was when normally you're on the ground building that team together, you know, was pandemic time. So you open doors and here you go, right? You're launching, you're in your honeymoon period. And to get through that first year had to just feel really good. Oh yeah. I mean, it, I can't, I still can't believe what, that it has been slightly over a year that we've been here. It's changed so much in terms of, you know, COVID and procedures and what we put out there. Like we just had a discussion internally of, when do we remove those guidelines? Like, do we remove them from our website? Yeah. Is that now? Is that a now thing? Is that a later thing? Is it, are we coming back? Like, so, you know, those kind of things. So trying to have to work through that. And then I feel like, I can't remember what show it was when it was that you didn't have to wear a mask. Um, right. Or the last show that you didn't, or event that we didn't have to have the verification. Cause that sure. was a big thing here, right? Like we're in Washington, pretty safe state. We, we were the state that broke out, right? Like that. Yeah. We just went to a bar last night that were requiring vaccinations. And yes. Yep. So it seems like, you know, there is uh, kind of the range of people yes. kind of coming back and other people requiring and trying to be safe or whatever it is. But I'm sure it's interesting kind of transitioning out of that. What does that look like? Yeah. So that's definitely been interesting. Right. And then it's also the volume in which everyone's coming back. I, like, I think Rosie will always tell us, um, this is not normal. This is not normal. The amount of shows that we're announcing right. that we're doing, like, and I feel I mean, like we're that's seeing everywhere. that, but it, even, you know, in, in our buildings, but, and I'll, most people are seeing that, but as a new building, I'm sure yeah. it's even more so. Compounded, right? like honeymoon plus. You right. Know? Yes. Right. So that's the question, right? Is it a honeymoon? Is it COVID combination of the two? I mean, we as a team, when we, I, and I don't know how normal this is, because I think people do ask us, like, why don't you automate it? Um, but when we announce a show, often Pacific Coast time, we're announcing at 6, 7 a.m. We as a marketing team get on the phone, get on a call 30 minutes before, go through all of the assets, make sure nothing has changed, probably writing a press release because we didn't get it until. Right. You you're know. lucky if you're getting that 30 minutes before, <laughs> yeah, 15 exactly. minutes before that. So we yeah. run through those things and it's like, you know, 630 in the morning, getting that all up and going. Oh, and then, oh, sorry, you have a show tonight, too. So then right. you're running through the yep. show and yep. it's multiple times a week. So it is it is a lot. But feel like it's someone exhilarating and those deep breaths are so essential sometimes that we're yeah, like, yeah. we're going to get through it. Like we just had Dave Matthews on Friday and then post Malone on Saturday. There's a hockey game on Tuesday and then we have Lizzo on Wednesday. And that's so, just a week. That's just a week. And then smashing pumpkins on Saturday. Yeah. There's a cracking game Friday before yeah, it doesn't yeah. end. It's never ending, but it's good, right? Like I, it's it's such a joy to see it come back. For sure, because yeah, again, every time I find myself feeling a little uh, overworked, I kind of go, "Oh, remember that pandemic? That that sucked, right?" Right. Oh, Better yeah. be overworked in an arena than in a testing facility, right, like yes, you were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like all the pivots we all had to make. I'm like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. So we are again under the roof of Climate Pledge Arena, but let's talk about the space we're recording in today because this uh, is, is kind of a treat. Uh, it's only our second episode we've recorded in person, right? We're all yeah, in the same sure. room. Yeah. Uh, but this is the Amazon Music Artist Lounge. Uh, it's kind of like you, know, you turn a corner and we see the little on air light. By the way, you can check out some pictures uh, on uh, the Adventures in Venue Land social media accounts because uh, Megan's been getting some cool stuff. But what, uh, what it's like, it's like a recording studio right here inside the arena. Isn't it cool? It's super cool. <laughs> very cool. We feel, we feel like very spoiled and like we don't 
deserve to be in here, but uh, we'll, yeah, we'll what do they what do you use this it. space for? Uh, sometimes artists will come through and they'll work because again, Amazon Music Lounge, right? Yeah. They're the ones who have helped outfit this. This is so you can do things specifically for Amazon. Yeah, so they have someone who's dedicated to. He's a sound engineer. He works with the artists. Um, cool. Actually. Kane Brown sure. um, did an episode here, filmed it, and recorded here, and that was something that we were able cool. to capture and and use on social. So you know, it's being able to get those artists in and, and and do cool things like that. Plus, it's just a beautiful space. So even if you're not using the recording studio, it provides this certain vibe, it's this very yeah. live yes. events feel to it. And then you have this space where we're sitting now, where you've, I mean, I'm looking around the room, and there's, you know, amazing photography books about the flash and rock covers and you've got all these guitar pickup buttons and it's just the whole room is decked out for live events makes you just feel like you're you're in a studio yeah yeah even when you walk in there's like posters of old seattle artists that have been here it's it's really cool it's an homage to music in seattle well, it's so cool. I, I, I thank you for having us here. And and I know we we talked a lot about the, about the building. But let's talk a little about you because some people know you as as Janice, but some people know you as JJ. Yes. Right. It just kind of depends. You were saying on what phase of your life they knew you from. Yeah, that that is totally true. I think um, I got the name. So, if you look at my resume, I started out at Honda Center as an intern. And I did it my four years of college, essentially. I did a year abroad, but came back and did it again. And then I worked at Feld Entertainment. And my boss at the time, who's actually um, one of my most favorite people and my mentor is Kurt Schwarzkopf. He's the SVP of ticketing over at Ticketmaster now. Uh, he actually called me at the time. His daughter was like four and she watched some show called like JJ the Jet Plane, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, that rings a bell, yeah. Right. And I think like that week or something when it clicked dawned on him, we were in Milwaukee for Ringling Brothers. And I had gotten into a discussion with uh, someone about settlement and what they owed, uh, those kinds of things. And he said- Like how you uh, pause there, a discussion (laughs) at settlement. I think we all know- Uh, A heated heated discussion (laughs) uh, (laughs) about who who owed who what. Uh, And- I, he was there and I didn't realize he was in the room and he said, man, you just like fired it at him. You're like JJ, the jet plane. I'm going to call you JJ, the jet fighter. Oh, so man. that's where it came from. Um, so that's the real name is it's yes. not JJ. It's JJ, the, the jet, jet fighter, yes. jet plane. Yeah. And then people think it's, you know, some people think it's my full, my name is JJ. I'm like, no, it's my initials. Yeah. J yeah. and J. So, yeah. So it is something that I was called. I left Feld in 2013 uh, ish. I want to say, uh, is that right? I don't know. Somewhere around 20, 2012, I think actually. Um, and, uh, I moved on to Cirque and I was called Janice and I kind of stuck through that, but this, you know, this industry is small. Everyone knows everyone. Yep. And so like you run into someone outside of the industry, outside of your work and they call you JJ and it was like, what? J-? So then it kind of sticks. And I'm here at climb pledge arena and a few people, I met Rosie during that JJ phase uh, when I was at Feld. And so she knew me as that. And then our programming VP programming, I knew him when he was in Phoenix. So he knew me by that name. So it's kind of stuck and um, I welcome it. You mentioned that you started at the Honda center as an intern what kind of made you pursue that internship? Like, I guess taking it back when you were in college, is that something live events, you know, is it something you fell into? Like what, what was yeah. your kind of 
thing that led you to that building? So I grew up in a city called Walnut, California, not Walnut Creek, but Walnut small town. It's 20 minutes from Honda Center. I don't know, maybe it's 30 now. Um, and then <laughs> 45. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like 25 miles from Staples Center, right? And like at the time, I'm like, what do I want to commute to? I went to Cal State Fullerton, which is really close to Anaheim. And um, but when I was growing up, I loved the NBA. I'm like, I love the NBA. I'm gonna live and die by the NBA. I love basketball, especially college basketball. Love and it. then yeah. um I didn't want to drive to LA. And I'll be honest, I was not a Lakers fan. So I'm like, I don't want to work for the Lakers. Um, and I'm like, I don't think I want to work. What was your team? Do you remember? Back I didn't then? have a team. I had a player. Oh. So who um, was it? Mike Bibby. Okay. Mike Bibby. Yep. He played for University of Arizona in 1997. Uh, I filled out my bracket, my March Madness bracket. You got an Arizona fan in here. Oh, really? Okay, awesome. Megan Ebeck. <laughs> Put it lightly, Arizona yes, fan. Yes, I, I see your face. She's like, yes. She lit up, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I filled out my bracket. Mike Bibby was a uh, freshman at U of A. I actually watched him play on TV during the McDonald's all-star American game. And I'm like, I like that guy. I like how he plays. He's a solid point. He's guard. a baller. Yeah. yeah he and was then awesome. uh, I had him going in going to the finals and I got made fun of. They're like, really? You're <laughs> going to have a number. I think they were number eight seed. Like you're gonna have number eight seed. I was like, yeah, that's what March Madness is about. And they won it. And so he was kind of the player that I followed. He's not great after college. Uh, he got drafted to the Grizzlies. It, all the things. Yeah, but sure. anyway, so I didn't have a team. <laughs> I had a player that I followed and, you know, I who's my team now? I don't I've gotten back into the NBA. It's really kind of been something new again cuz I didn't like it for a while, but I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be behind the scenes. Sure. Um but my option was like I'm not going to commute from Cal State Fullerton to Staples Center like just that to me didn't make any sense. Yep. Uh, so I applied at Honda Center, I think when I was a freshman in college. And during that time, you were required, uh, like the program that I was going into, you were required to do an internship. And I remember them telling me, yeah, but if you do it your freshman year, you can't do your sophomore. You're just not going to get credit. And I said, I don't care. Yeah. So I essentially stayed there for four years. I did a year abroad, but when I was there, I'm like, I'll do anything. I don't care. I just loved it. Like it was the energy. It was, it was the people. It was so much to learn there. I mean, there were random things that I did. Like, I think one of them was help submit a bid for the world badminton championships, like, which to me was really weird or like manage the relationship with, um, the, uh, oh no, it was a kid's club for, were they called the storm? It was like the NL NLL. National Lacrosse League. So they oh, were there wow. for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, there was just a lot of different things and I I kind of loved it. And I decided I don't want to go into the NBA. Like I talking with fellow counterparts at the Ducks at the time, I was like, that doesn't sound fun. That's not something I want. I like the variety of it. Um, so yeah, I was there for as an intern for about three-ish years. Yeah, and you know, and this is the this is the message to people, young people that are listening to this podcast and interested in getting into this industry, right? Is when you were there, you did everything you could oh, yeah. do. I did everything I could do because for me, it was like I just want to learn. I want to soak up this knowledge. I want to know what makes it work, right? Because it just doesn't work for marketing. Yep. I need. We need help with 
We need box office help. We need operations help. If we're going to do something on site, we're going to need maybe the team a little bit. We're going to need all of these things. So I did guest services. I did premium services. I did group sales. I did marketing. I did PR, helped out a little bit at the box office, do one-off projects. Um, And it was a time where it depended on the department. Like sometimes they could pay me, sometimes they couldn't. Um, So it's whoever had the budget at the time. So I would go on and off a payroll for like two years. It was like, no pay, 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 no pay. I was like very dedicated to it. And so I, I know it's an anomaly and I know it's rare, but I was really wanting to to do it. But it also lets you kind of trial run all those departments too. So oh, yeah. I'm sure it's like you got to see, okay, I like this about this one, or maybe this is more of a natural fit. But then like you said, it sets you up for the future to where now you have greater respect for what all those different departments do because you've been in their shoes and seen it from that side, which a lot of people don't have that exposure. Yeah. I think a lot of that exposure, I feel like has really helped me in my career today in the sense that I like to think a lot about what is it that I'm doing and who does it impact and why Um, Right. and think about other people. But that's like a life lesson, right? Like what am I doing that's impacting other people and can I make the situation better? So tell me about that jump then from the internship to almost uh, eight plus years at uh, at Feld. Yeah. So uh, Kurt Schwarzkopf at the time hired me as their marketing coordinator, I think. Um, so I was in a marketing coordinator role. So that was someone who just helped the entire team, office admin stuff. And pretty quickly, um, just because of the way that Feld moves, they needed help with promoters. And so I went from coordinator to manager um, at Feld within five or six months. And then after a couple of years, I became a director and at the same time moved to Seattle because at the time I was promoting events all along the West Coast, essentially, or the Northwest was really my focus up in um, BC and Canada and then here in Washington, Idaho, Oregon. And so I kind of just stayed. And then I went from Feld to Cirque du Soleil, kind of did the gamut of not just regionalized but the entire country north and north america essentially um and still based out of seattle well i did a year in montreal okay yep i lived in montreal for a year uh when i was overseeing the marketing for um for the touring shows division did you learn french at all i am not good at (laughs) uh french i knew a little bit but i when i studied abroad i actually studied abroad for fun but uh in madrid and it ended up being enough classes to give me a degree in it so now I also have a degree in Spanish so having that base of like a romantic language helps you learn other ones sure okay absolutely Latin base you kind of pick up a little yeah yeah. and it's so hard it's hard though I'm like I wish I had learned another language when I was younger what was that adjustment like from Feld to Cirque because well there's a lot of similarities they're also very different companies right they're very very different companies right um and the way they operate right so Feld is very much regionalized where they have their promoters be experts in that market right like which I thought was so smart right like they knew and this is a little bit of what I feel like I liked a lot about Feld is you become that expert you know the ins and outs you know what makes that market tick and so it was very much, and you got to know every single city, every single player person in that market. Um, and then with Circuit was more of like, 
you know, turn and burn, like turn through all of these dates. You did, sure. you know, 30 dates, one tour, and that was it. Like, yeah. um, and then you would go on to the next one and you did it, uh, you would do an arena tour or you would do a big top show, which are two different ways to market things because you're doing 30 markets, maybe on an arena tour. But if you're doing a big top show, you're doing one city, but you still have 72 shows to do. Uh, so you have to, and this is very much felt thinking in that, the way that I was taught was, yeah, you have seven shows. It's not one show. You have seven. So you have to market every single show. It sure. doesn't stop at opening night. It's every single show needs right. to be sold out. So how do you translate that at Cirque when it's 72 plus shows sometimes? Right. right? Yeah. Especially in like the Bay, right? So where they do those nine week runs and it's just a lot. So, yeah. So very, very different, but being able to take those learnings and see how things function and um, being able to just a different product too. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So from there you went to intrigue shows. Uh, yeah. Tell I mean, us, tell us. I did, I've done a lot of, let, let's, like, yeah. let's just not, there's been a lot of, a gamut of things, a gamut of things that I've done. A gamut yeah, yeah, of things. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I was actually talking to uh, Marissa Dion about it at, uh, in Minneapolis about like the contracts that I worked on. And one of the gentlemen, he, uh, I worked on intrigue shows and they were someone who were looking to launch a product. Right. So, and they wanted someone with Cirque experience because he was like a music director at Cirque. Anyway, they wanted to launch a show. It was not a great experience. It's no longer. Right. We'll just. Yeah, that. sure. Okay. Yeah. Cause they're not, they're not all home runs, right? No, they're not, not yeah, all, but yeah. that's life, right? Like yeah. you give it and you see what happens. And you learn, you yes, know, you're kind of, totally. this is what didn't work for this and you know you apply it going forward right and everyone's like well like how does it feel you know you worked on like a couple shows that haven't done so well I mean like I did uh Ice Age on Ice uh for and they were there for they lasted one city and then they cut the tour um so you know then that's by right I was a contractor when I was doing the, the all these things yeah right? sure so it's like you lose the work and you're done and you move on to the next or you don't right so um I did. Yeah, I did that one. I think I worked on Shopkins. I don't know if anyone knows who they are, but uh, I, they might still be successful. They're like small, like little tiny, dolls, mini, little tiny yeah. miniature things that you could swallow and die. Eating. <laughs> yeah, but, the kids yeah. toys, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you often learn more from those challenges oh, or failures. So, right? Right. so oh, yeah. you totally. know, Ice Age on Ice, one show, but like you're probably learning more from that than if you go into a market, you sell out shows and it's easy and then you Right. You know, pack it's, it up, go to the next one. You know, you're you're really, you know, maybe not the ideal scenario because it didn't go well, but you probably, you know, got more career kind of growth out of that than anywhere else. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause it was really um like that experience was really about we worked a lot with um the studios to figure out what we sure. were gonna do, or we were working with um the toy company at the time you know, what do you want? What does this branding look like? Those sorts of things that, you know, going through creative and marketing briefs, finding sourcing agencies, looking at work back calendars on when we need to launch things and freak them out a little bit, like telling them they're behind and, yeah, you yeah. know, dealing with all of those things is that essentially something that, you know, when I worked for someone who wants to launch a show, it's giving them the reality. Yeah. Of, the, they may not want to hear. Yeah. They don't want to hear that. And, or they don't want to hear the cost. Like they think it's absurd or, whatever it may be. I'm like, well, I'm just telling you what I know. And this is what I've experienced. So don't be in sticker shock when they come back with like $250,000 uh, to build a campaign. 
So one of the interesting things that you did was during the pandemic, um, you know, when we were all scrambling, right? You had you did something with with Hot Wheels and a drive through event. Yes. So I actually did a couple of things. So okay. The Hot Wheels situation. Um, I was with um, I can't remember. Sorry, Eric and Ken, if you're listening, um, I don't remember. <laughs> it's like Family Fun Holdings now is their company. Uh, but they were two gentlemen that came from Feld, from the motorsports side sure. of things. They brought me on board to launch their Hot Wheels Monster Trucks Live event, which we launched in, I think, uh, 2018, maybe. Okay. I honestly, pandemic years, I don't know. Right. We all get, we all get <laughs> it yesterday. Yeah. But they know. launched Hot Wheels Monster Truck Live in Edinburgh, Texas. Uh, and they brought me on board to help them market it and run their front of house for them. It was a super small team. I think sure. there were two marketers for the whole thing. I mean, it was really, really small. Um, and kind of just did everything with them, kind of like I did at the Hana Center. I was like, yeah, whatever you guys need me to do, I don't care, I'll do it. So I uh, marketed shows for them, ran their front of house. So traveling with them um, and being there to to work on their crash zone experience, um, pre-show stuff, like all of these things. So really got um, to know them really well. And then um, pandemic strikes and they're like, what are we going to do? I guess I should say they, uh, Ken and Eric, had another partner that they did Magic of Lights, which is a drive-through light show experience ahead of pandemic. So they were doing this in places like Foxborough and Ottawa, like big, huge, empty fields and areas. I think they did it actually in um, Fontana one year uh, prior to the pandemic. And I think um, Ken had gotten the idea of doing, why don't we do like a Hot Wheels drive-through thing? Um, so I did that with them. They ended up going to Ontario. We were, I was there for 54 days straight. We had one wow. day off, uh, and it was a drive-through experience of Hot Wheels, trucks, cars, all of these things. Uh, I can't remember how many were on display, but you just drove through. It was like a museum of cars oh, and trucks. And, yeah. um, yeah, so it was really, really cool to do. And we did that there in, um, Ontario, uh, for, we opened the day after Thanksgiving, I want to say. And then January 13th, I think, is when we finished. Then we went to uh, Six Flags outside of Atlanta. And then we went to Foxborough, um, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. So I worked with them on that whole experience, getting it launched, being front of house for them, um, running all of their ticketing and merchandise operations, in cold ass weather <laughs> awful raining yeah, sideways yeah. but i was like i'm working i'm working i'm so happy but you're working yeah, right? i'm yeah, working yeah. because uh while i was kind of while we all waited i'm like i cannot not you know have in, not have income and i can't rely on you know whatever the stipend was so i actually did instacart delivery so i delivered groceries uh for five april i think yeah, April. we all did what we had to do to yeah, get through. Yeah, yeah, I delivered groceries. You guys, I recommend it for fun inner fun thing, maybe right. to make like thirty bucks an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I did that for uh, six months. I feel like you uniquely have dealt with so many intellectual properties. Oh, uh, yes. You know, there's so. I, I mean, felt alone has. Yeah, that's true. It is yeah. true. Has yeah. Disney and Marvel and endless different ones. But you've you've touched on Hot Wheels. You've worked with Cirque. I mean, I think there's not a lot of people that deal with those, and also not that many. Whereas a lot of a lot of those are very different than each other. You know, they they have different requirements. They 
sometimes are very micromanaging, I'm sure, sometimes very hands-off and kind of trusting. And what what's that kind of like? I, I don't I'm sure a lot of people listening maybe don't have that experience or they only see it from the venue side where it's uh it's very oh you can't you know change art like this because oh, you know yeah. whatever uh star wars or, or marvel is gonna get mad at you or something oh right all the time right like so understanding what those nuances are and where they're coming from right like disney was awesomely you know like they're, they're they there. give it down that's where I, that's where most of us learned brand control is working on feld with a disney sure, property yeah right everyone right? does like uh you know like Probably when you were doing a meet and greet, I remember this at Feld, like you couldn't serve certain food at um, meet and greets for Disney. Sure. Uh, it was like you couldn't do sugar. You couldn't do these things. You you couldn't have if like, say, for example, uh, Mickey was going to be there. You couldn't have Mickey's face on cookies because there's no way Mickey is going to be there and also have his face on a cookie. Oh, yeah. Inter- yeah. Right. All yeah. kinds of stuff. Yes, yeah. correct. So it like those learnings have translated into other partners or brands like how they want to be you know their perception and like ratio of characters to letters all of those things yes like all the things we have here it all makes sense right like people want to stick to this brand and and what's important to them um and you know i feel like a lot of us are that's kind of making a resurgence now right of like what people's brands are sure so yeah i mean it's it's definitely been interesting um and i'm trying to think of like what a hell story has been but you know it's I've never had anyone tell me I ripped down art because of something. Not yet, anyway. So well, not yet. The day is young. Probably <laughs> helps too in your current role. You're at Climate Pledge Arena. You're working with a massive brand like Amazon, yes. who probably has a very specific vision for their partnership with you all. So having that kind of experience on how to work with brands, how to work with maybe two different goals, and how do we, you know, how do both of these companies get done what they need to get done? Right. But collaborate together and not step on each other's toes. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is like, uh, especially for us, for an arena, you you have to want to believe in the mission, right? I think that was my appeal to um, this job, essentially. Uh, I wasn't looking at the time and, and I told uh, the folks that I was contracting with us, I wasn't looking like it, it, it would have been smart, right? Because this pandemic, like I, I should look for a permanent job, but it was really the mission about it. Um, over the years, like I would say the last, five or six years, sustainability has been a really big thing for me. Like what, like I was saying earlier, like what are the little things that I can do to make an impact, right? Like in anything in life, right? Like saying hi to someone on the street, super small, but you can make their day. Sustainability, sorting your trash or thinking about who you purchase from, or do you really need this? Does this need to be overnighted? Like those sorts of things are things like, I feel like living that brand in my work life is also super important because it's that balance of the two. How do I carry it over? And it's infectious, you know, like even the smiling, saying hi to someone, they kind of, Oh, that was nice. I'm going to do it to the next person I see. Same with sustainability. You know, sometimes I'm at a friend's house or they're at my house and they see I'm doing something differently and, Oh, that's weird. You're using a reusable K pod or something. I'm like, yeah, it saves me a lot of money. I'm not trashing all these, you know, little K pods or something, you know? So I think sometimes people don't don't really think about it. So whenever you're able to make those little impacts, it it spreads. Oh yeah, it totally does. I mean, I, I I'm not ashamed of it. I will dig through our trash and sort it properly at work sometimes. Like I will pull <laughs> out. You. Yeah, I will pull out plastic and just be like, no, no, no. I and I even have a little bin next to my desk 
uh, that says plastic film. So people will like drop their plastic film in there. And then they'll ask me, like we actually did for Post Malone, we did a tattoo parlor station. And so um, Kaya on our team was developing um, this, this activation. And she was talking to me about, she said, so, you know, for their setup, they have the tattoos, so they have the backing and then they have the cardboard and they'll have, you know, paper towels and and, and water. How do I dispose of those things? So then like, I yeah. love that she asked me that. Did you even think like, it through? Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you that so many people are going to get to that point and they're just throwing the trash. That's going to be the last thing they think about. Right. Exactly. And actually our fans are awesome um, that come to events. They, they know, but I feel like we're a city that uh, has really part just, of the vibe of the town. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's been around for a while. I will say that I think, um, in Portland, Oregon, I was at a show there. I was doing a show for Feld. So this was, you know, 10 plus years ago. And everyone would stare at the trash cans because it says compost, landfill, recycling. And people just stare. They at just like, stare. They right. They just yeah. stare. They're like, what? Which one's what? Yeah. What's compostable? Um, but like, and there's things that like people don't know that are compostable. Like, okay, well, take the take the time to like ask the question, right? So really trying to like lean into that brand of sustainability. So. Beyond sustainability and in your, your personal life, one of the cool things that you're involved with is the F factor. Yeah. So it's actually the Ruby Room. Uh, now they've since changed names. Okay. So um, I work for the, a nonprofit and during my contracting years, I was able to contribute a lot more time to them. Worked in office, all of the things. So um, they actually have, their mission is really to empower youth through fashion. So one of the things they um, they started out as uh, they would do um, fashion workshops for foster youth. So really focused on foster youth because it does say a lot, um, you know, you don't really think about like what you wear actually tells you how you feel, right? Like if, you know, if you're wearing something nice or something you feel good in, you're going to be confident and that's just going to exude your behavior, right? With foster kids, they walk around with a plastic bag and move from home to home. Um, and they don't have anything more than that, or they shop through a second hand, although second hand is cool now. Um, they'll yeah, shop right. through like <laughs> yeah. some, you know, someone's ratty things, right? Like it's just, it's not what you want to do. So we would work, I would worked with them. We would do workshops where the kids would come in and they would get different like life lessons. Um, and it would range from age or ages. Um, I think we did an older, older one. Um, so I think there were maybe 16 to 21 at 18, you foster out, you Age out. out of foster care. Um, and so we did, we had some career counselors come in, talk to them. And then after all of their experiences, we work, we work with uh, local organizations or local retailers to provide clothing to them. Um, so we would just buy it at, buy it from the store, like old Navy or source all of these things for them. Um, and they would sh come and shop and pick out three or four outfits for themselves and then get a duffel bag to put it in so that you're not going in a trash bag. And, you know, uh, we would, and then sometimes we can give haircuts. So they would give them haircuts and it's get awesome. them prepared to yeah. go into the world. So that was what, that's one component of it. And the other is um, since I started there, they acquired Ruby room, which is a local organization that provides formal wear to low income youth at no cost. So they have over 3000 dresses um, and then several hundreds pieces of menswear uh, that we have that people can come make an appointment. They're paired up with a personal stylist and they are given the royal treatment as they come through and find a homecoming or prom dress or whatever that special occasion may be. Um, so yeah, so I sat, um, I've actually stepped down because of things that have been going on here, uh, but try to remain active in it. But I was on the, the board as a board president for 
five years ish. I think I can't remember. Yeah. It's been, yeah. So that's busy, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Yes. A lot of stuff going on. We are so excited to be coming, uh, with the event arena marketing conference in June, our, uh, registration details will be opening up sometime, uh, in probably December, right. Yep. Is what I'm yep. hearing. Uh, that's what we're planning out today. And we're, our meetings got to, we got to get back to meetings here in just a minute. But I just, I just thought that the first time that I think we met was we 10 years ago we won. in Vancouver, uh-huh. right? It was you, me, oh, Dustin Turner, building. Vanessa yeah, Kromer, all-star. Uh, oh, that's scav- a stacked team. team. That's a stacked team. And uh, uh, in Vancouver. Yep. Cheaters. I can't remember the woman. I pulled up the pic actually once in a while. Dustin Turner and I are still very, very good friends. And once in a while, I'll send that photo to him of us winning and telling him, have a winning day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, it, it's a winning day for us to get to talk with you. Before I let you go, I want to hit you with our fast five. Five quick questions. Just looking for your instant response. First, mm-hmm. do you remember your very first concert? Boys to Men, Honda Center. There you go. How about your how about your favorite concert? Ooh. Ooh. Uh Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. It was a benefit concert here at McCall Hall. Uh, how about uh, people are visiting Seattle? What's the one food that you got to try while you're here in town? Um, crab, because I love crab. And it's also fresh here, right? Yes. It's also good. Yes. What's uh, what's one thing you have to see? You know, always there, you know, there's a space needle, right? But what's one thing that you're like, oh, you know what? You're here. You should go see. Yeah, what the locals maybe would recommend. That's not maybe as obvious. I guess it's a do thing. Uh, ferry ride. Really? Oh, yeah. Yes. Take a ferry ride to Bainbridge Island. 30 minutes, walk on, walk off. It's awesome. Very cool. Last question for you. What is the theme song to your show? Right? There's a TV show where reality cameras follow you around all the time, filming your life. What is the song that plays over the the opening credits to the JJ show? Oh, my God. I wish I knew this question. <laughs> it's so hard because I have a different song stuck in my head and it has nothing to do with this because... <laughs> It's been stuck in my head. head What's the song stuck in your head? I got to know. It's really dumb. It's a Girl Scout song. It's It's Girl Scout song. It actually makes sense. Make new friends. Make new friends. Keep the old ones. One is silver. Silver, The other is gold. gold. And I was singing it all this morning. There you go. There you go. I kind of like that. I think that works. Hey, uh, people want to follow you or reach out to you or or check out Climate Pledge Arena on social. Give us some plugs. Yeah. uh, Jay Jimenez 10 is my Instagram. Janice Jimenez at LinkedIn on for LinkedIn or Jay Jimenez at climatepledgearena.com. Please reach out. I love conversation. I love helping people get into this industry or not. So, you know, let's chat. I love it. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Make new friends, but keep the old, yeah. right? That's how it goes. We can't wait to uh, come back. I mean, one, we can't wait to see more of the venue. Cause this is kind of like our first little Visit, step yeah, into yeah, the excitement, yeah. but also to be back here in June and have so many other people be joining us and seeing the beautiful space. Oh yeah, I'll do. I'll I do pretty some pretty good uh, tourist guides, not off off the beaten path guides. There we go. Hey, and again, thanks to everybody for listening to Adventures in Venueland. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttelberger. and I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. 
Copywriting and Publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest Booking and Brand Strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest Research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.